0: Hello, I'm Peter Ayers and you're listening to Stages. The I
1: started dressing up in drag craft, at home at
0: Christmas and parties best and best birthday parties. Everything around me, I was like a sponge and I still am. Incredibly observant, incredibly visual. We're well, always, because like
1: I said, I danced um, you know, from the age of five until I left France to go to the to the army. Take a a script and you sort of reinterpret it. You have to be so (gasps) careful. And then we decided on Mitzi, it was going to be Mitzi Maguire or Mitzi Mayhem. I used to choreograph the drag shows for the drag queens, so I got to know them. Lo and behold, the next morning when I wake up, here's my face on the Daily News. (laughs) And to this day, people go, oh, Bob Down, oh. And there were these dance steps called Shoot the ducks and dry your nails.
0: And I sat there for weeks learning how to do my face. Get me on
1: the microphone, half pissed and just like in a room full of people that were halfway there themselves. And then I remember when
0: I was five, I wanted to go to this party, as a very. I
1: have to be able to put as much of my soul into it. As possible. Lee Gordon named me a lot. Lee Gordon was a big promoter who actually started the drag queen shows off in
0: Australia. I'll do it all again in a heartbeat, but I'll do it a little bit different next time, I think. I'd be, I would be more prepared than what I was. I mean, I was just someone from the suburbs that went to King's Cross. Hello and welcome to this very special Stages podcast mini series. I'm your host, Peter Ayers. It's World Pride 2023, and the Queer Globe is converging on Sydney, Australia, to celebrate diversity, inclusion, community and fabulousness. To mark this momentous event, the Stages podcast is saluting the cast of captivating drag divas and personalities who have been featured on the podcast during the past five seasons. They are artists who have appeared on national and global stages, Thrilling audiences, making a difference, healing community, and expressing unique and wondrous talents. We spotlight these episodes so you can savour a second listen, or so you can sample the delights of these entertainers for the very first time. A diva a day for each day of World Pride. Mitzi McIntosh is an adored drag identity who has worked in all the major Sydney venues over some two decades. Outrageous and subversive, with a heart of gold and possessed with immaculate comic timing, she is the drag persona of performer Graham Browning. Now residing in the UK, Graham and Mitzi were back in Sydney for their first one-woman show, Mitzi McIntosh, My Life in Lipstick, when this conversation was recorded in 2018. The show was presented as part of the 40th anniversary Sydney gay and lesbian Mardi Gras. Browning's knowledge of drag as an art form and of a Sydney now past is extensive. He is very much one of the custodians of the vibrant drag scene that existed through the 80s and 90s. Graham Browning sat down with stages three days after the 2018 Mardi Gras parade and party to discuss his show, his process and the art of the drag performer.
1: You know, I'm seeing all these things on Facebook and all these amazing photos and things, and I think, you know, I I guess you always think somebody else has a more interesting life or something than you've had, but I think also one of the things that I'm quite good at is storytelling. Um, I don't know if it's an Australian thing or whether it's just something that... So I, I guess it doesn't really matter how good your story is, if you can't tell it properly, then it's just going to sound like shit anyway. Um, so, so I think that was something I felt a little bit more
0: comfortable about with the show was that, um, you know, I am, I am a good storyteller, but it was, I mean, from my point of view, I'm sure everybody was there also, it was a great nostalgic trip to a time which sort of doesn't exist anymore. It, 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 it doesn't, it was funny doing this, I am what I am show was that
1: I think, I think the thing about it was that we're all a little bit older. So we're all, you know, as I said, we're, we're mellow fellows. We've, you know, we've all just calmed down a little bit, and so all the little things that we used to bitch about and have a go at each other about years ago have way gone. And also, I think we're all looking back on what we did and appreciating the contribution that we may have had, or just, just, just that each each of us, because I said that one of the things that I loved about back in my day was that there were all these incredibly creative people around, and we all push each other to be more creative. You'd see a new show open. You'd be like, oh my God, have you seen Maud's show? It, it looks fucking amazing. And then we would then turn around and try to come up with something that was better or different or more exciting. And I think I, I think we're always inspired by the people around us. And I guess, I guess it's a, another funny thing that I find about performance is that the people who dominate the scene or who are popular at the time then steer the style of what's, what's being done. And so people will see a show and, and see something done and, and they'll either try and copy it or be inspired by it. And so then you'll find that, you know, several people are doing the same thing, you know, like, I mean, very strangely, hip pads and drag queens at the moment. It's just and, and unfortunately, that's where the culture of drag is being eroded by a reality show, um, which is which is really sad. But. You know, you see these little
0: things... You talk with, something like RuPaul. RuPaul. So you think that's eroding... Yeah, the absolutely. But,
1: but well, it's it's eroding... It, it, it First of all, our culture's disappearing. Like, words that we used are, uh, you know... Even, you know, queens turn around and go, oh, my God, she's so good at lip-syncing. And I'm like, no, darling, it's miming. We mime. You know, they lip-sync for their life, I mime for my rent. And, <laughs> and it's just that whole thing of, of us as performers remembering our heritage what our drags did we had in 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 my day in our heyday we had a quintessentially australian style of drag it was and it was sort of what made priscilla so popular but before it um stricter ballroom and that sort of thing was this really bright colorful brash larrick honest Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and that was, you know, even, even my style as a drag queen, I would walk through somewhere and I made sure I looked fabulous and I'd walk up to somebody, I hello, how the fuck are ya? It's bloody nice to see ya. And that juxtaposition between the look, the and, look the and the voice and all that sort of thing, and even on a microphone, it's, good evening, ladies and ladies. And it was that very rough Australian, how the fuck are ya sort of style against this clean drag, you know, over-the-top image. And, and that was what I loved about Australian drag. And then you start to get more and more of these people. And it's a really funny thing because, you know, I, I was reading an article the other day, apparently America now is full of drag queens waiting. So there's all these queens who are working out how to do their makeup, working out how to do their performance style and doing all this sort of thing and how to do all of that. And then they're getting out there and trying to get seen and getting the Insta stories and getting the hits and getting the YouTubes and all that sort of stuff. But they're waiting for that call from RuPaul's Drag Race because that's how you make your, your fortune. That's how you make your money. You should get on RuPaul's Drag Race. And, and and even reactions, you know, I was out at the Imperial the other night and there's a fabulous queen called Art Simone who's, who's amazing makeup. She's big on Instagram. She's had a lot of, you know, um, overseas, exposure through various platforms and um and they introduced her at the imperial and there were people around me screaming and yelling who weren't imperial people and they weren't gay you know they were young people young girls and that was her online following Um, and and it's a very different World and 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 the, you know you don't you're not doing drag because you love doing it you love performing and yes you're earning your rent but you also love what you're doing and you've got these queens that seem to be doing it to get the look and to get the style and
0: they watch a YouTube video and all that sort of thing so but that's just this generation I guess too in, in get, any yeah. performing discipline I mean you see it with actors and singers etc it's cultivating that audience on a, a social media platform yeah to um, I mean, you know, there was a. Uh, there's been a couple of big musical auditions here recently, and you know, uh, people were told not to audition unless they had so many thousand on their Instagram account right, or Facebook yeah. followers or whatever. Yeah. You know. Um, so yeah, it's become so I, much get, much
1: I guess it I does. I yeah. I guess that's the success of a show is that if you can actually promote your show to however many followers, then uh, you know, and theatre in the long run is about money, isn't
0: it? So with something like that, that reality show. Um, rupaul's drag race yeah producing cookie cutter queens a cookie cutter drag queens performers they're all in a similar sort of all in a similar makeup vein. and and i guess it's the makeup you know you, you, you
1: i've always said that it, it, it's fine to look absolutely fantastic um and and that's the problem is you're getting these queens who look amazing and you used to always have in drag you had social queens you had those ones that loved going out loved being seen on, the, on, on, on you know, out in the clubs and things and would go around socialising and, and they looked fantastic, but there was no substance to them. As a performer, they, they either weren't good at what they did or they hadn't honed their craft. Um, and it does take you a while to, especially with drag, because you're fighting against so many elements. Um, you know, it's, it's one thing to act just as you are but then to act with wigs, heels considering makeup, jewellery um, the, the way you're performing you're constantly and, and with drag I, I guess it's sort of a little different to theatre because you're constantly thinking about the physicality of what you're performing whereas with drag your physicality becomes second nature to you so the way you walk and the way you hold yourself and the way you perform um, becomes part of and, and those little things that you notice younger queens thinking about drop by the wayside. So the way you, you know, you, you'll, you'll see somebody on stage and they'll be miming away and then they'll do a turn and you think, let me just close your mouth, you, yeah, your mouth's not working anymore. And so having to remember to do the performance side of it and the choreography and the miming and make sure that you've got your headdress on straight. And, and also I think funnily enough for me from a, from a producer point of view, I also think about everything else that's going on. You know, there were times in the show, the, the spotlight guy was shit. And there were times in the show where I'd sort of walk and think, I'm out of spotlight. Hang on a minute. Hello. Spotlight. And I sort of lean back to the left because I'd realised, you know, he hadn't followed me. And little things like that where you're... And I, and I guess as a performer, you're always aware of your surroundings. But then also there's elements to the production that you're aware of as well. So, so there's all those little things that in the beginning... Slow you down and become a
0: problem, but as you continue to perform, they just become second nature. Mm. Um, I just one more thing about the reality show you know, a, a, a convention of the reality show is that all of the um performers in it, all of the, the people being monitored, have a backstory. And it would seem that you know, every drag queen has this terrible story in their life, which maybe ha- have, has led them to, to becoming a drag performer or has saved them. The drag has saved them or whatever um is that generally the rule do you think with the the queens that you've met
1: um i don't think I, and, and I, I i guess it depends on how dramatic your life has been or how dramatic you want it to be um but most of the time you, you know especially with australian drag well, australian people in general i just think we're like oh you know shit happens and we get to get on with it hmm. um whereas maybe they've taken elements of their lives and and been requested to beef them up a little bit for television i think it's always the case um you know i heard heard that when courtney was doing it they said to her, look, you know you need to be a little bit more out front you need to be a little, little more vicious and have a go at them and and be a b- bit more dramatic otherwise you're just not going to get tv time and 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 i guess that's the problem with something where it is a reality show is that there's so many of these people that that see it as real life when actually it's just a story and they're
0: just taking elements and putting them all together. It's a fabrication, and yeah. it's, it's edited in the way that yeah. they want to create a story and tell a story. And yeah, um, does that viciousness exist? That that bitchiness, um, or is that that just all all fun?
1: I've always said everybody thought that drag was really bitchy, but it not, but it isn't. Um, but I guess there was. Uh, we were joking the other day. Trudy and I are. Great friends. We've been friends for many, many years. Trudy Valentine. Friends for many years. And we have probably been more awful about each other than we've ever been about other people. Um, But there's an element of appreciation for somebody's craft. As a a drag performer, you have to be quick-witted. You have to be clever. You have to find that one part of their personality or something that you can pick on there's there's obviously always an element of truth to what you say which is why it's so effective um but with Trudy and I we just sort of sit there and continue stabbing each other and say you know she'll say something and then I'll have a go back at her about something else and and we'll we'll laugh about it and and there'll there'll be lingering thoughts of oh my god I can't believe she said that about me but you also appreciate just how clever somebody is and and how good they are and and I guess with drag there's that as well um but but there's always there was very definitely a clear divide in in my era and there was we didn't actually give ourselves the name the beige brigade but there was the the more artistic side of drag the people who thought themselves to be more colorful and 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 we were quite conservative The, the the style of drag that i fell in line with which was caroline clark who had come through, had worked as display at um, Grace Brothers. So having worked in display, it was very much all about you put, you know, two or three of the same dress. You then match it with coordinating earrings and shoes and all this sort of thing. So they then dressed drag very similarly. And Caroline's style of drag was quite traditional. and it was quite theatrical and you know she loved theatre and all that sort of thing so a lot of the music that she used was Broadway shows was all that sort of thing the performers that she loved was you know Bette Midler and all that sort of stuff so it was quite traditional in in her style and that bled through into the style of drag that we did um so all of our costumes were yes they were theatrical costumes but they weren't way over the top they were practical costumes they could be transported they you know three people could be on stage at the same time whereas you had groups like um the show bags where none of their costumes matched um you know they didn't coordinate anything they basically would say all right we're doing a 60s show then they would all go out and source their own look they would source their own bits and pieces and every week it might change but they would also outdo each other in the wigs that they would use or the style that they would be and so there was there was this divide between the two drags and, and because we all wore beige shoes um, we got known as the beige brigade but also I guess the dig was is that we were quite beige in our performance as well so there was this and, and Caroline also noticed very much a divide between Oxford Street and the inner west so whenever there was the, you know, the, the drag industry Variety Awards, when they had the drag awards, Oxford Street would very much feature, but anything that was done outside Oxford Street wouldn't. And so there was always that divide between us and, and we would be watching what they did and obviously they were watching what we did as well. But, but it was always like, oh, you know, you're not as good as, or in the papers there would always be photos of all of the shows that run in town, but very few of ours. And once every now and then they would do a feature on the Imperial, but not very much. So so I guess there was that divide between us and and there was we we were always a little bit jealous of their fame, jealous of how much exposure they got. Obviously working at the Aubrey Hotel, it was the most popular hotel in town. So there was always that and, and so, you know, we would all have little digs at each other. But not massively. Um I I guess also one of the things that Drag's really good at is being two faced. So you know, whenever we saw oh each other, darling, how is lovely to see you. And afterwards, oh my God, did you see what she was wearing? But, um,
0: but yeah, there was there wasn't there wasn't a huge divide, but there certainly was friction. So, so for the listener who may be uninitiated, you know, you've, you've spoken about various people, there, Caroline, and and venues like the Albury and the Imperial. So, so we're talking eighties, uh, nineties. So I started late eighties,
1: right. Um, you know, Oxford Street was in full swing. Everything was fabulous, um, and and I first started going to the Aubrey Hotel, um, but also socialising at the Flinders Hotel, at the Unicorn, which was just up from the Aubrey. And at, this
0: was this was a golden era. For, it was a golden era. Oxford Street, wasn't yeah, it? And, and, and many of these venues no longer exist. They're closed oh, down. Yeah, a, a lot of them have gone, and 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 it's um.
1: You know, it, it, people must be doing the- theses on why this is happening and what's going on, and and I guess it is. You know, we always said acceptance is a two-edged sword. Um, you know, you we accept, they accept us, we accept them, um, and and more and more as we're accepted outside society, our those safe places that we we had those those little havens where we all congregated and communicated slowly start to disappear because you know our generation aren't going out as much anymore the younger generation don't really care where they where go, they go yeah. or where they socialize because yeah, they um, seem
0: to be accepted everywhere yeah
1: it? and so uh, and and so it, it it just becomes and it's a really funny thing because everybody's like oh you know, why do we need to celebrate it and and to an extent i sort of say well okay look you know we have we have a National Italian Day or something like that. We, we celebrate various communities. We celebrate the Chinese community. Um, you know, there's no reason why we shouldn't celebrate the gay community. And, and I guess that's also something that I think is great at the moment is there, there does seem to be a certain amount of nostalgia going on, but also part of what I love about Facebook is that everybody that's on it who is of an era is starting to post all of their photos and put little stories on and all this sort of thing. And, and I think, funnily enough, that's actually communicating really well with the younger generation and they're understanding a little bit more about what has happened and where we have come from. And, and there does seem to be a desire from a, a section of the younger community to understand and to learn about what's happened and, and what's going on.
0: Uh, more so than in recent years? Because yeah, there was a, so. a great deal of ignorance amongst yeah. the younger community.
1: Yeah, I think, what went and and maybe, I don't know. Maybe the yes vote has inspired a few people. Maybe it's woken a few people up. Um, but 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 there does appear to be, and, and you know, maybe it's just me seeing people posting more of it. And maybe it's an older generation, determined to try and preserve it a bit more. Um, but but there does seem to be a, a larger percentage of the younger audience that are
0: interested. Which I think is a good thing. Or, or even if it's just documented, I think it's great. Yeah. Um, you're now living in the UK. You, yes. you, you're back for the 40th anniversary of, of Mardi Gras. Um, how long since you've been in drag? So it was three and a half years. Right. So you come back, you do a one-man, a, a one-woman one show, uh-huh. and uh, you appear at the, the opening uh, performance of the party. Um how was it getting back and dragged? Does muscle memory kick in? Was, um, did you have to sort of wriggle back into it? Oh,
1: I was I was well impressed with myself. Um, it, it's it's amazing how you're the after. same dress size. <laughs> well, well, I am now. Um, I stopped eating at the beginning of the year. Um, funnily enough, I'm I, I think I'm smaller than I, I was at some points, and um, because I became vegetarian a few years ago, and then friends at work because I work as a cinema manager, and friends at work um, were going back again, I w- I'm now living in Brighton and Brighton is sort of like Newtown by the sea. It's it's very arty, it's very, you know, um, if you sort of took Newtown and put it with Nimbin and sort of mixed them together. And um, so it's a little bit like that. So there's a lot of uh, art arts people in the area. There's a lot of creative people around. And also it has quite a large vegan vegetarian population. There's, there's you know, every, um, kebab shop does vegetarian and vegan kebabs. It's quite strange. Um, and so everybody was doing veganuary where they were like, oh yeah, we'll be vegan for, for January. And I was like, oh okay, radio. Right all right, let's let's give this a go. And I mean basically on vegetarian it's it's not that hard to take that extra step. Especially because I decided what I would do is I'd just have breakfast and then I'd have soup. So that was all I ate for January. So that was really good. Very effective. Um, and so yeah so I am the I am a very a very similar dress size. And, and there was also, it was it was quite strange to, especially because the show was a lot of freelance. It was just me getting up there. Um, we'd sort of worked out the rough structure of the show. I had bullet points of what the stories were going to be, but there was nothing set in stone. We hadn't written any of the stories. It wasn't that I had to learn a script or anything. I was just going to get up there and talk. and And it went really, really well. The performance side of it wasn't so difficult because I'd... Done a lot of the stuff in the UK. Um, I'd had to perform on my own in the UK, um, which I found
0: very lonely. This I, is when you first went over? When I first went and over. Um, two thousand and twelve. and break, break Mitzi into the yeah, scene over there. Yeah,
1: and, and I thought, look, I've got to earn some money, so why not do drag? Um, so I started to do some drag, and it just didn't really go down very well because the UK scene is completely different to any other scene in the world in what way it's very vaudeville pantomime dame um their drag queens are i mean one of the things that that if you're going to be a pantomime dame the the quintessential pantomime dame is rough and ready even if they are and again i guess it's sort of Bleeds back into that Australian mentality of you have this pantomime dame who comes out who looks absolutely gorgeous, um, and and but it's a it's a most definitely a man. No matter what you say or do, there is no way that the children are ever going to be confused that this isn't a man in a dress. Hmm. Um, and when the baddies come out, they're all like, "Oh, don't you tell me what's bad about this, sure And the ugly sisters are the ugliest, ugliest of sisters. And so that's that's part of what. Drag is in the UK
0: as well. Is how the the drag scene has grown from those pantomime roots? um, I I do. Are you seeing those type the pantomime dame types of drags
1: in venues? I I think I think there's an element to their performance. Right. They're not. I mean, they're certainly not the -the over-the-top costumes and the big wigs and all that sort of thing. They basically wear sequin dresses and you know hairline wigs. Um, but there is an element of pantomime to what they do, and certainly vaudeville and and, and those old-style performers of the one-liners and the um, sing-alongs. It's all very much sing-alongs in the UK. Right. All the songs that they do, um, they're, they're good singers, so they might be mid-West End performers, but in full drag and successful on the gay scene as performers. Um, and all of their songs have that they do the same sets over and over again um and people get to know the music get to know the sets get to know they even do like they have sort of callbacks where they come out and they go hello how are you my name's bagger bagger chips bagger and they they go chips bagger chips and so they have these right. sort of sayings that they have in their shows and and um Cat- catchphrases yeah yeah which, uh, and, and the audience and, know yeah and that's and that's their style and and they also have that gentle misogynistic racist style to what they do um, and that works really well for the British public they love being made fun of but they also love getting involved and so they'll come out and oh look at you you Dirty fat dyke. And they'll have a go at some lesbian in the corner. And what's your name? Jack. Hello, Jack. We're going to call you Jack. And then they'll come back to Jack the whole way through the show. Oh, how did you enjoy that, Jack? There's more fucking glamour here than you've ever seen before, haven't you? I bet you've never tried a pair of tits on. Come here, darling. So they'll do all that sort of stuff. And that isn't what I do. And so I, you know, I, I, I did my shows and I did my mime, but it wasn't live and also you know they could get up there and wear one dress and perform for an hour whereas i'd be lugging around six costumes and six wigs and huge bags and because i was the only person on stage i have to be running off stage and doing as quick changes as possible running back on again sweating like a grunter i'm just be like oh do you know what i can't can't be bothered
0: so was Mitzi too confrontational or, or just too different to what they were used uh, too to different things, right? just
1: just too um, too bland if anything yeah. because they don't sit and watch they don't observe and miming drag requires you to look at me because mm. I am miming the words to the song and you it's will understand show. yeah and also the songs aren't your normal average sing-alongs I even had I, I tried to include songs that they would know better And all they did was just sang over the top of all of the miming. So when I was, so I did Bitch, which is the Mummy Dearest. um, And I edited in and out of the song, uh, Meredith Brooks, Bitch going back into, Mummy Dearest going back into Bitch. But every time I stopped the music and went into the miming dialogue, they just kept singing. Over the top because there was a song. Right? I'm a bitch, and so they would just go into the second chorus, and they keep singing. i will be up there thinking, I'm miming. Shut up and watch me. Yeah. And they'd all be pissed yeah. as farts. And and because the show goes for an hour, they dip out and dip back into the show. So it's not like where you stop, you sit and watch. You enjoy the show, then you go back to your drinking. They wander around, they go and get a drink at the bar, Somebody and then somebody will say something, they'll go, eh, or they might hear a song and they think, oh, I love this song, and then they'll start singing along and then they'll just dip back out of the show. And so that's why the show goes for so long is they dip in and out of it. And also they don't, they don't watch. And so when I did my shows, they, they didn't want that. They wanted this type of show that they liked. They And, and, and it's funny because nowadays, a miming show may work better than it did because of RuPaul's Drag Race, but then also the difference now is that I'm of an era and I don't know whether it would work, but, but yeah, it was, and there was also at the beginning of me going over there, there was this realization that I had this incredible support network in Sydney. Everywhere I turned, there were people who knew me, people who I knew, people who had been with me from when I first started drag and had seen me grow up, had appreciated what I'd done, had seen everything I'd done in the community, the shows that I'd done, all that sort of thing, and had grown to know me as a performer and like the style that I did. And I just thought, Do you know what, at 45, I don't think I can start all over again. Mm. I just don't think. And it must happen with theatrical performers mm. as well, who get to a point where they're secure in Sydney and they think, oh, this is great, I'm gonna try and hit the American market. You get over there and find yourself standing in the supermarket in the middle of LA thinking, what what have I done absolutely and 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 that's fine when you're young I think you can you know get that enthusiasm and and all of that but I just thought you know what I've, I've done all the dance parties I've done all the going out socializing dressing up just to be seen going to various venues before I go to work so that people see me getting my face in the papers I just thought I can't and especially I think logistically the UK is a lot harder to do that sort of thing you know, you're travelling all the time. You're going to, you know, in in Sydney, you work in Sydney and every now and then you might go to other cities. But certainly as a drag queen, I just worked in Sydney. I didn't have to
0: travel. I never went to Melbourne. I think I went to Melbourne once to do a show. But apart from that, we just never travelled. In your show, um, A Lifetime in Lipstick, you, you tell a rather horrible story uh, about our beloved Mitzi in a talent quest in yes. the UK. yes.
1: And, and that was, that was the punchline was that I came second. Funnily enough, Love Why came first. So it wasn't exactly like I lost to, oh yeah, to the worst drag queen on earth. But also part of that was what they were looking at. So they have this drag competition called Drag Idol. And the idea is, is what they're going to do is they're going to find the next cabaret. They call them cabaret performers. Um, and they're going to find the next cabaret performer. And um, you know out of that, three, three or four people will get a career from this, this competition. Um, but what they're looking for is people that are ready to go out on the scene and do a one-hour show in a venue. Because from Drag Idol, you get bookings at various venues. Um, you get um, like a, a circuit tour where you can work with every venue. And so you go out and do it. Um, and Le th- there were a few people on the the judging panel who said, you know what, I was really voting for you because lavoie was going to work she was going to have the you know she was going to have the gigs whereas i wanted you to get the exposure because i think for the uk market to understand what you do and to like what you do you needed to get out there and and, and you needed the exposure um but but it, it really was a matter of everybody else who was in the show was cabaret and was doing what they wanted to see on the, on the circuit and i wasn't and and probably if anything my style of drag would be better put together into a theater show um with using something like um you know edinburgh or something like that and where people are actually coming in to watch it and and laugh and 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 enjoy the audio and the, the the sound and the the music that i've found and collected and put together and then the performance that goes with that and how you perform that music and that doesn't translate to a uk market and so I, I performed for a while. The other thing that's really weird about the UK, in Australia, you get a gig and that's your gig. Like I would be performing at Stonewall on a Thursday night and I would do three months at Stonewall. And then I'd get another gig somewhere else for three months. In the UK, you they have this thing where they say, I've opened my diary. So in October, around then, the drag queens will start posting on Facebook. I just let everybody know my diary's open. I've got a few dates free. And what happens is the venues will contact you. So the different pubs will give you a call and they say, hello Mitzi, it's the, um, the the Shag Rock from up in Ed- Edinburgh. We'd like to book you for, for next year. I'd be like, okay, that's great, thanks. And they get like, so how about January 22nd and um, September the 4th? I'd be like, yep. Thanks, that's great. And so they'll book you for two, two days. And so you've got two days next year that you're working. And then somebody else will call you and they'll say, oh, you know, how about, it, it, could, could you do June the 4th and um, February the 9th? you would be like, sure. And so basically, what you're doing is you're filling up your diary, but you never know from one month to the next where you'll be working or who you'll be working for or how many you'll do. And I mean, the drags that are working quite a lot will work early at one venue and late at another, especially if they're close by. Um, Or you get a residency, which is what everybody wants. So you will be performing on Sunday nights at the two brewers for six months or, you know, till they tell you they're going to sack you so the residency is what you want because you know you're working every week and you're going to earn your money but so much of it was so haphazard it was just like oh you know can you work these dates and be like i I can't live like this i can't earn money like this Mm -hmm. not knowing you know one month to the next how much i'm going to be making or so it does require you and again that's where it gets back to the whole facebook thing Of i noticed that they would perform at a venue then the next day they're like i had the best night at such and such last night and i thought I performed there last week. There is no way you had the best night last night. It is shit, and but it requires them all to have this you know, superficial success and to be oh I did this and I did that and they loved me and was
0: fabulous and to try and get booked for more gigs. So yeah. So when you were doing it full time, um, was it a profitable occupation? I yeah. Mean, it must be extremely expensive to sort of continue to create those looks and, um, um, and find the music and travel. I, I, I think I
1: think the the thing about the looks is that because I'm. A costume designer it's it's not that expensive to buy the materials it's the time you, you 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 take making everything um and i think i think there's a question about how profitable something is um because at the end of the day i made money but then every now and then we would have a conversation with management and i and, and they'd say oh yeah but we pay you such and such you know we, we pay you 150 a night and you'd be like okay sure hang on just 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 back up a minute so i've written down here how much time i've spent sewing the value of the costumes that i've made for this for this show the time we've rehearsed the petrol money that i've got driving backwards and forwards etc etc so sometimes i think you forget that all those little things that you're paying for um are what makes up how much you're earning and at the end of the day you just take that money away and and not realize how much of it you are spending on it um but I think I think in general yes it was profitable but there was also a lot of passion that went into it and you loved what you did um you know sometimes I think I'm earning less money now working full-time but because I don't enjoy doing it you know when you're doing something for passion for a while there I was doing some costumes in the UK and working on the weekend. So I was working five days a week doing costumes and two days on the weekend. And I didn't notice it at all because the five days a week doing costumes was such it's a joy. Passion, yeah, I yeah. just loved it. And, you know, I loved the people I was working with and we'd sit there and we'd be sewing up these amazing costumes, chatting away and laughing and doing all that. And I loved doing that. And so the week, the weekend work was more, was harder to do than, yeah, the, the, the week work. So, so yeah, um, but, but certainly for me it was, I was on a good wicket because I actually got a weekly costume allowance at the imperial so i used to get two hundred dollars a week and as you add that up over the various months that would sort of add up to a a, a fair amount that would go into costumes especially because a lot of the time i flog shows for quite a while you know and until until management came to me and said oh thursday's dropping off a little bit i would sort of try and flog them for as long as i could
0: what uh, what sort of impact on the body clock? I imagine like a flight attendant, you know, you're working these extreme hours, I mean, because that's when the venues are alive. Uh, how did you adjust to that? Or or is it nothing to adjust to?
1: I think it was a lot easier when I was young. Um, you know, it wasn't so much of a problem. And, and also, the, the good thing about drag is that I, I, I think at the most I was probably working five nights a week, but most of the time I was working three or four. Um, your weekend would be a little bit rubbish because you'd basically be finishing at three or four in the morning, but then you'd sleep in the next day and, and your body clock would readjust. But it wasn't it wasn't so bad. Um, I, I, as I said, I think these days I think I find those sorts of things harder to do than back in the day.
0: Um, is it fair to say that uh, drag queens are the are the clowns of the gay community? Or is that, is that certainly, or is that just one style? Because there's that style of performer also who likes to be as feminine as possible and create the illusion of being a woman.
1: Yeah, I've always, I've always found it quite strange that, I mean, I guess there's something really very clever about that that fully full female impersonation. Um, but then I also, I also had this thought that female impersonation as such is of an era. Um, I I sort of developed this theory that drag changed in relation to society's attitudes towards sexuality as a performance. um, In in the early days, certainly in lay girls' days, drag was about full illusion. Mm. And what society could accept was something that, walked talked and looked like a las vegas showgirl but then the punchline always at lay girls was and don't forget they're boys and that was the that was the beginning punchline and the end punchline and so everybody would be transported into this amazing world of um, incredible costumes and beautiful feathers and and they all had tits so they looked like las vegas showgirls and even the illusion of you know at one point they would do the full strip and they would undo the sides and pull the G string off and they'd be standing there stark naked on stage, grab a feather bow, pull it in front of them and walk off stage. And then people would be like, Oh my God, I can't believe that's you know, and suddenly they'd remember that's that's a boy. And so that was the illusion, but that's what they could cope with in their heads. And then I think as times changed, in the you know seventies, suddenly you got these drag queens with full handle bar moustaches and hairy chests and and that was part of that that transition towards, fuck you, I'm going to be a colourful man in a dress. I'm going to be, but I'm, but I am a man, and I'm reminding you that that I'm most definitely a man because I'm one of the gutter sluts or one of those sorts of drag queens who it's were like Vanessa Wagner, yeah, yeah, who who were very much a man in a dress, and then and then it sort of moved into a very colourful Priscilla-esque style in the in the '90s, where it, it became very over the top and very glamorous, but also a caricature of various eras so it was a 50s 60s caricature um and, and i've always you know the, there's always that question about drag being offensive to women which generally gets asked in interviews it's it's never really anything i've encountered before um, but then i i think that's also because i am more of a performer than an impersonator i think I just became a drag queen because there was more colour and movement to it and that appealed to me as a performer. And there's a lot of humour present in your a, work. Yeah, yeah. A, a, a lot of humour. And and I think, I, I guess that is is who you are as a, as a performer and I realised very early on that comedy was something I did well and that worked really well in drag and so that became my style. So I guess everybody has their different styles but for me... Certainly, the over-the-top, exaggerated—it's um, sort of more a caricature of Hollywood than it is of women as such. It's—it's it's sort of—I—I I, I think sometimes we're poking fun at Hollywood's impersonation of what glamour is. Then we're taking it and and blowing it up even
0: more. And, and on the other side, in the last twenty years, I've seen we've seen the involvement of the drag kings. Um, so the girls have a chance to. Um... Yeah, and part of part personally. of what
1: I loved, um, I mean, drag kings. Sometimes I see some drag kings, and again, I think, I, I, I. If the illusion is, is fabulous, then I guess that's where the trick is. Somebody who I love, Sexy Galaxy, who does drag, but she does drag. As a drag queen would do, dressing up as a man, so her drag is very much big makeup and and colorful style and you know huge sort of beards and wigs and and it, it's very very much drag as such um, and, and, and and I guess it gets back to this whole question that's flying around at the moment about women doing drag and all this sort of thing and I think I think drag can be anything anybody wants it to be. It's just a matter of finding a character and amplifying it as much as you possibly can and just pumping it up and and just going way, way over the top. And that is what, to me, that's what drag is. It's about finding, you know, that
0: extension of everything and just going to town. You have a great um, repertoire of novelty numbers, numbers which are a bit different. I mean, that, that part of your work, you must be on the constant lookout for things that have not been done before, that are a bit different, that are funny. I, I was, and I find it really hard to stop myself.
1: Right. Um, and, and, and it's so, so much an important part of drag is the audio, is the soundtrack. Um, and for me, that was always something I was fascinated by. I've, I love editing. I love... And, and, and when I'd be putting a show together, you'd, you'd come up with a concept, and I'd come up with an idea. And the first idea you come up with is the most direct, basic idea of what you're going to do. And then you sit with that idea for a while and you find as many like I mean I mean there's different sorts of shows you can do but you know you'll generally find a theme for a show and once you've found a theme for a show you'll then start collecting music that you can use in that show and especially for me audio that you can use in that show So if you did space, you'd then find, you know, you think, all right, am I going to use some Star Trek? Am I going to use some various things? Lost in space. Yeah, so you'd find all those little elements and then you would start blending all that together and am I going to do a medley in the middle of all the most famous space shows that there are and are we going to do little little bits of audio from those shows? Um, And then you'd, and obviously these days it's quite easy to search words online or music online or things like that. But in, in my day, you would start to collect a repertoire of stuff and you would, and you'd hear about songs that people may have used in the past. and that's the other thing about performance is that it, it just goes around in circles. So I did a space show 10 years ago, somebody did a space show back in Capriccio's, they did a space show, etc. So that sort of theme just continues to evolve, and in 10 years time, somebody will be like, "Oh yeah you know, what about we do a space show and think that they've reinvented the, the wheel?" <laughs> but but those sorts of things happen all the time. So you, you might collect ideas from other people's shows or you might collect music. And, and then also you get told about songs that exist. Um, so I might find a song that nobody's found before, but then I might be told about a song. I, I do um, a song called Tea for Two. And Robin Lee, years ago, Robin Lee, performer from Lay Girls way back in the day, she um, she knew I was going to America and she said oh do you know what there's this fabulous song called Tea for Two by Libby Morris have a look for it I was like oh okay radio. Right here and I got to San Francisco and I went into this record shop at the top of um, uh, the, the, the main drag on Castro Street. Uh, Castro and um, I had hate in my head and um, there was this queen in there and I went in and I said, oh God, I was wondering if you have um, Libby Morris. And, and he said, oh, darling, yes, I have. Got... Do you know, I do all I do all of the soundtracks for, for Lip Syncer. I do all of her music. I do all her, yeah, I've got. And he pulled out like three copies of Libby Morris. And I was like, oh my God. And so I bought two, because I, whenever I bought records, I always bought two of them. Um, and so I bought two of those. And it, it's a phenomenal song. It's absolutely fabulous. The way she performs it, et cetera um there's not really much else on the album that's great but there's that one song and so many albums that I bought and so many that I collected and again this came through Caroline Clark because Caroline had known a lot of performers from the old days um but also funnily enough we would be we would be flipping through records in um down on Pitt Street at the record stores and she'd pick up this milk crate and she'd be flipping through it and she'd literally be pulling out one after the other after the other after the other and she'd turn to me and she'd go oh my god some queen died this week and that was literally the, what what had happened was people were getting rid of estates of people who had died during the HIV AIDS crisis yep. and they would just take the records to the record shop and um, and we'd be sitting there. And, and also in those days, the only way you would get some of these records is if some queen who was a Traveling flight attendant and, yep. or something like that or had enough money would go to the estates and they, they were a collector, they'd buy these various records and they'd bring them back. And so you would find these records and... And um, you know there was uh, the, the the Playgirls record, which everybody used in in Lay Girls and all those sorts of things, and and that was famous as 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 a record that nobody could find, and and, and I eventually got a copy of that because I got uh, Maxine Dubarry, who used to do all the records for used to do all the soundtracks for Lay Girls. She was moving house; she had to move into a smaller flat, and she said, "I'm getting rid of my record collection." I was like, "Oh my god!" And so it's just that. That thing of finding those sounds, finding those uh, amazing tracks that nobody else has. Um, And those and, and, and then also I used to try and find cover versions of songs all the time. So I'd be constantly buying records that had a song on it that I recognized was an incredible version of a song. Like it, 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 it might not be, but it would, you know, I'd, I'd recognize the title and then I'd be looking at the, the actual label of the record and find the artist and realize that, yes, it was that song. It wasn't just another title. Then I'd take it home, listen to it, and go, oh shit, no, all right then. So I'd put it back into the record collection. But every now and then I would find something amazing. That, um, and that's also what makes me sad about music, is that there are songs that I still know of that I've never found. I don't think i'll ever find will never be put onto cd i mean there was funnily enough there there was this amazing version of this song called craving and it was on the you be the musical and um caroline showed me i've got the musical on record and the other day i was googling and doing something rather and i looked online and i found it it's been released on cd and i was like oh my god and i thought what do I need it for? What am I going to do with it? I don't really need it
0: anymore.
1: <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's just that constant search and that... that and, and, and even, you know, lines from films and things like that, every now and then you'll hear a line. And, and back in my day, what I used to do is record all the TV shows. So I actually used to record all the TV shows on, on video V-ages. and then I'd put them all onto cassette. And then when I eventually got a computer, I took all of those lines that I'd put and, and I would take single lines off. I then recorded them all onto computer, tidied them up and divided them up into sin- single files and then basically wrote what the file was about or what the words were in the file. So if I searched for, I could find it. So that was what all that was about and creating that. And that's what I loved about editing was painting that picture with sounds, finding. And, and then also one of the other things that I used to do whenever I was doing dialogue, I came up with this trick of of finding little sounds in the dialogue. And so if there was a word and I needed to find some way to trigger that word I would take a breath from elsewhere and drop it before that word so I would, I'd cut everything up and drop little sounds in so I could hear them and similarly the other day you know it, it was funny I was on, on the way over here I was listening to ABBA and there was this um, sound in the background of, of like a, a percussion instrument and part of what is the humour in drag is you're listening to a song and you're finding sounds in that song and then you're then performing that sound and suddenly you pull out an instrument and you start clicking it like this and people think it's hilarious that you're miming the instruments that are in a song and so it's that thing of finding little bits in song and every now and then you'd find uh, there's this great version of um, uh, by the Chanter Sisters of Band of Gold since you've been gone, been gone, all that. And then the sister just stands in the background yelling things. So the, the one sister's singing it. And so she's doing the version of it. And the sister's going, gone. All that's left is a band of gold. Band of gold. <laughs> all that. And she's just screaming. It's just the most beautiful song. And I've always wanted to do it never did. But it's that sort of thing where you find these crazy versions of songs. And you think, I can't believe somebody actually recorded that. Because I'm limited I've never recorded anything to, to put in a show. I've always wanted it to be because part of what I think is my is, is the talent of drag is finding pre-recorded everything and putting it together to make a story and to make a, a and to paint an image. But that's also part of what I learned at some point during my career that I love about drag is finding those phenomenal vocal performances but also those character actresses that had such beautiful voices and the sound of that and and there was this wonderful line that that i took out of prisoner that really meant nothing at all had nothing to do with prisoner but the other day i did um a, a piece of dialogue which was from some um actress who was talking about dildos and she was like i have two sorts of dildo one one for one sort of penetration and one for the other and she bangs on about and at the end of it i cut this line from um maggie kirkpatrick where she finishes and she says thanks for sharing that with us princess (laughs) and it's just dripping with sarcasm and there's this and it's the most beautiful line and the way she delivers it and and it's it's part of the joy of drag is being able to steal these people's talent and and be able to put it into a show and 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 then there's also that really interesting thing about finding three or four ways to perform exactly the same line that is no different the the sound of it's the same it's a pre-recorded track that you're doing but there was when we did um the sound of music and, and she turns around and she says, so we need you to go look after, um, it, it's a baron, he has seven children, and she says, seven children? And I mimed that, first of all, with surprise, and then with sexual interest. And the laugh that I got from realising, and, and, and I sort of thought, oh my God, there's different ways I can mine this line. And so you you, you can find in exactly the same tone because you know, nothing's changed. It's just that you're going, seven children. And you're sort of raising an eyebrow and thinking, what I could do with seven children? And it's just all of that story that you're painting behind that look on your face and behind that reaction and how you do it. That's part of what I love about drag.
0: So tell me about the uh, your process and the preparation of a performance. You've found a track, you've edited it together, because uh, a lot of it, I mean, your show, A Lifetime of Lipstick is very text heavy. How do you learn all of that text? Do you then write out the lyrics and, I and learn it like a script?
1: Yep, I write out the lyrics. Um, often what I will do, or what I find easier to do, is beginning of the line, end of the line. So often I'll go back through. And, and I've also got this thing where... Years ago, somebody said, if you do something seven times, you'll remember it. So i tend to listen to something over and over again. And I'll listen to the lines and, and and I'll just start at the beginning. I'll learn the first line. Then I'll go back, listen to it again and just keep listening to that first line and then continue it into the second line. And then I'll learn it first line into second line. And so then it's a matter of learning those lines. So you learn you learn the actual words and then you start to learn the Pattern and the the inflections and the
0: breathing, the shape of the sounds. Yes, um, breathing is obviously very important. Yeah, you've got to breathe all the way through it. It's not yeah. just you
1: know. Well, well, you do breathe, but I guess also part of what I love, I, 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 again, you, you know, I, I think I think the true test of uh, the, the classic true test of a drag queen performer is, um, and I'm telling you, so many drag queens have done it. And I'm telling you, I'm not going from, drag from Dream Girls, girls yeah. From dream girls. It's a classic drag number because you know, and if you watch Jennifer Holliday doing it, she is having you know, she's in the throes of death. I don't know what that woman does or how she does it, but she is throwing herself around in that performance. And so every now and you'll get dragged and out, and I am telling you, and she's standing there looking absolutely beautiful, gums are flapping, and but there's that no is just there's it. nothing And if that. you listen to that, there's the <laughs> and 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 you need to physically embody that breath you need to you know and 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 you can you can take it even further and make it comical um or you can actually Im- impersonate the physicality of performing that number genuinely and so you'll get people who don't do it any justice at all you think oh, just give up and walk away um, or you'll get those people who find that theatrical performance of it. And, 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 and I, think, I think it would be interesting to see five drag queens in a row up on stage performing that one number. And you just get all of them up on stage and, and you would then again again start to realise how different people can do that. So, so that's, that's part of what I do in, in drag, is you find those little breaths, you find those little sounds. Um, and if I'm not going to perform something in a song... I'll edit it out if I'm not going to perform a bang or a clunk or a, especially in dialogue, but also in singing. You know, every now and then you will hear that in 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 the production of it they've taken breaths out, but every now and then they'll actually leave breaths in. And where they do leave a breath in, you need to perform that because that also is more genuine. But it can be quite comical to to find that breath. There was this fabulous song by Melon Kim from a whisper to a scream, and I've never heard anybody breathe so heavily in a song in my life, um, but she does every line <gasps> from a whisper to a scream. <gasps> and, and, and so the, the breath a, becomes part of the text yeah, it. Yeah. And at one point I was contemplating doing it with, you know, like an a oxygen tank and a, and a mask on stage and just <gasps> and, and and finding that comical element to it because it's so strong and when you're listening to it, you're like, wow. So it's, it's finding, but it's also It's also how your face looks, how your mouth looks, how your, and and, and again, there was this, this one little mime years and years ago, I did this mime class and there was this one little exercise that we did, which was the first part of your body that breaks the air is the type of character that it is. So if it's a thinking character, it's the brain that always, breaks the air first yep. and if it's somebody that talks a lot it's always their mouth if it's if they're full of themselves it's their chest if it's their if they are always eating it's their stomach if it's their crutch they're sexual yep. and and just that one simple little exercise taught me about the physicality of a voice and and for me as a drag performer um and especially doing the show that I did, because it was me on stage the whole time, I tend to slip into who I am as a performer and the jokes that I find, which were fine when the numbers were all apart, but when you put them all together, it's very much me doing the same thing all over and over again. So what I wanted to try and find, like the opening song was Lauren Bacall, and it's um, Welcome to the Theatre. Mm. Yeah, and, and, I, and I, I almost physically glued my fists to my hips, because i wanted it to be this very welcome to the theater to the magic to the fun but pulling my hands back in all the time because she wasn't big and over the top and it's lauren Bacall; she's quite masculine so I, I tried to pull it all back in again because i knew that when i got to caroline o'connor it was going to be very you know darling so good to be back i'm so here. and so it was very much all of that so it's finding that physicality of it and pulling it all back in and, and working out how you're going to perform. And, and even when you're miming different voices, you then become lighter in one voice and then become stronger in another voice or become angrier in another voice or walk
0: a different way. Are you on voice when you mime? Um, do you I actually, make noise? Yes, do you make no. noise? No, no, no. no, no. Is, there some drag Queens do that. Yeah. yeah,
1: Tallulah used to always, you could sometimes, if you stood there in fun, you could hear. And some people have always said, you, it, it's more genuine if you're actually making noise. I'm like, hey, bullshit. You just need to know what you're doing. Um, but yeah, some people make a lot of noise. Sometimes every now and then I've become a little bit in, enthusiastic in a song and somebody said, oh, I could hear you. And I'm like, really? Um, so sometimes you might make a bit of noise, but in general, I don't make any noise. Because it just seems to be a lot
0: of energy to create without yeah. making the noise yeah. it just seems it would be more exhausting bit,
1: i I, so. I i guess it yeah but also you know i guess you don't want people to hear you no no um, of course not. Mm. especially if you're not you know if you're not actually it at the right time um but but yeah it is it, it, it it's it's funny there's there's times where I, I i guess the funny thing about drag is that even if you pull back a little bit or like there, there were times when i was doing the show at the seymour where I was thinking about something else I'd be thinking about you know oh I, I forgot to read the bullet points for the bit that I'm about to talk about and I'm miming the song the song keeps going and that was also that's also something that drag queens have done before, which again gets comedy timing is, is, you know, you turn around and say, oh, darling, I've had it and the song just keeps going. You Oh, I can't. No, no, not possibly. Yeah. Yeah. I'll get back to you. And then you go back into what you're doing. So there's also that comic element to the show. The, the soundtrack will keep going no matter what you do. Things go wrong and, yeah. and you spot something in the oh, audience. Oh, people love things a, going yeah, wrong. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, a lot of things went wrong on my first night. I was Code really aliens. aware of those. Yeah. <laughs> I was really aware of those on the second night. And I think that actually thwarted my performance slightly, was that I was thinking too much about things, things going wrong. So then on the closing note, I just thought, I don't care, let it go wrong. But that's also part of what people love about drag, is the mistakes, the things that do go wrong. People falling over, costumes falling apart, stuff like that. That's, that's part of what adds
0: to the comedy of drag. What was it like um, being in that opening number of 40-something drag queens for the, uh, of, the, of the Mardi Gras party? Um, it must have been great to see some of those girls again.
1: It was, and and as as I said earlier, we, we're we're sort of all looking back, in a reflective mood about the past, and you know, um, also looking at people reposting the other versions of that that have happened, and and the other performers that weren't necessarily there, performers that have died in the in, and and that's also something I've been really worried about. Is that I, I always said, do you know what I want? I want them to sit all of the girls down at a table robin lee and all of those lay girls and just put three bottles of vodka in the middle of the table and set somebody recording because they have so many incredible stories and and you realize when you do something like the i am what i am number that some of those girls have gone and those it, since we've done that there's some incredible history that's disappeared and you'll never get to ask Simone, troy that question um, or have a chat with her about various things and and she's had conversations with people but you know when it, when it becomes somebody telling somebody else oh i heard this and um so it's 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 nice to see them all again and 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 also to remind the community that this is uh, you know three generations of performers that have influenced who we are as a community and have been out there jumping up and down and yelling and 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 again i guess something that i touched on in my show was the various you know me coming out at 88 so we had a you know i'm what i am in 88 and then we had another one in 98 and 2008 so during that whole period there have been all these drag performers who've been out there performing and and shaking buckets and being part of our community and shaping who we are as you know so many i i guess a lot of the time people come up to me and they say do you know what's amazing is when i first came to sydney i came to see your shows and i came to the imperial and and this sort of thing and and so we were sort of the, the visual reminder of what happened for them back then. And, and here they were standing in a pub and we were the excuse that they could actually stand there on their own and watch a show and then eye a boy off or go chatting to somebody or something. But, but you know, there was a show there so that they didn't feel like a shag on a rock um, and they could look like they were doing something they should have, should, should have been doing. So I love that so many times everybody's social life revolved around the show that they were going to see and, the, and then and then that I'm then a reminder of that past and, and what they did and where they went. Will you be back with another show? Um, Travis talked about it. I sort of worry that I pulled out all the big guns for this and I've only got a few pistols left. But it depends on what sort of show it is, I guess, and, and, and what angle we take. Because, again, part of what I love about what, what I talk about a lot is music and, the, and where music comes from And there's a fabulous song called um, Fiji Fanny by Elsa Lancaster which I just love and it's a, it's a wonderful song and there's another one called Irving by Rose Murphy which is a, a wonderful song and so it's just maybe what I can do is talk about the songs and talk about where they came from and of course there's you know, it's finding that angle isn't it yeah there's, there's Mrs Mills who you know, I used to do um, Downtown by Mrs Mills and she was apparently this eccentric old opera singer who was shit, absolutely shit, but but had quite a bit of money. And so there's a an album of Mrs. Mills at Carnegie Hall, and she she hired Carnegie Hall and gave out tickets to people so they would come along, and she whistles, and her her style of whistling is that what what she did was she would put ice in her mouth and she believed that the ice would make, would, would make her whistle better so I used to do the song and so there's this bit at the beginning of the, the musical break in the middle where you hear her go <laughs> and then again and I thought what the fuck am I going to do so in the, sh- in the number that I did I actually put teeth in and then took teeth out. And so that sound of putting of her putting ice in her mouth, I actually made it her putting teeth in and taking teeth out. And so there's those sorts of things where there's this amazing story, but also a bit of a story as to what she actually did and where that sound came from. What you need to do with drag is observe and absorb. Um, I, I used to go out and watch shows. And a lot of the time, and what I saw in performers was things i liked and things i didn't like and i would then take that away and i formed who i would be as a performer from things that i found appealing and things that i wanted to whether it's whether i was inspired by or whether i wanted to copy but but there wasn't a direct impersonation of any one person but there were things about performers that i loved I'd be like, oh my god, I love how they do this. I love how they do that, um, but I also don't like how they do this.
0: And so whether they're a
1: sponge, yeah, just, and, just and yeah, and, like. and, and so there were, you know, I mean, I loved when I first was going out on the scene. Cindy Pastel was just, I loved Cindy. I loved her style, you know, how she performed, um, all that sort of thing. And and so, you know, and then I also saw Sky Brooks, and I loved what Sky Brooks did, and particularly my. The way I edit music and dialogue in music was totally inspired by Sky Brooks. Because Sky would just, and Sky was crazy. Again, this is where you find what you like and you find what you don't like. I loved the fact that she managed to weave dialogue through songs and things, but Sky had no direction in shows. She would just start at one point and you know it might start with i am what i am i am what i am you know what you are you're a big man and so she would drop this dialogue in and then 45 minutes later after costume changes and shit flying all over stage and and you know she used to have five performers but she would have them run off to get changed to come back on and do a line and run back off again and so they'd be changing and there'd be costumes going everywhere the first week the costumes wouldn't be ready so they'd have half of the costumes and then half of other stuff and then the second week they'd be wearing half of what they wore the first week, but suffered falling apart and, and there was, it was just messy. And I decided that that element of it, I couldn't cope with. I had to have more structure to drag. So I took the elements of Pleasure Pact and the, the commercial elements and added in bits of Sky Brooks. I had a conversation with Doc Dingle one time where he didn't feel that I became who I wanted to be as a performer until caroline and legs weren't influential in my life anymore um and i was very influenced by them and they and 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 i and i guess as a young enamored performer i wanted to impress them and i wanted to do what i thought would make them happy so i followed a lot of their beliefs and their friends became my friends and their enemies became my enemies and and then after both of them had passed away, I had to make decisions for myself. So I became
0: my own person. So is that when you think Mitzi was born?
1: Um I think or obviously I fully was. Fully realised? Yeah, yeah. I
0: but I think I I was fully realised
1: as as a producer, because I could produce shows that showcased who I was as a person. And 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 as much as I was a performer performing in other people's shows, I was than a performer performing in my shows and so i could so so i think i think what you see of me is everything that i've put into it so it's music that i've found that's appealed to me and fits the character of who because mitzi is graham graham is mitzi both of us it was funny when i first started drag I made a conscious decision to separate the two in the sense of I wanted to be a drag performer, but I also wanted to have a life as a gay man. So, and I'd seen people who put absolutely everything into drag and then during the day looked like shit because they didn't, they they had worked so hard on being a performer. And I wanted to work hard on being a performer, but I also wanted to have a life away from drag. And so I made sure that, um, you know, when I finished a show, I would take my face off properly and I would have something nice to wear. and, And I liked men's fashions as well as drag. And so I made sure that I bought nice clothes and all that sort of thing. So and then also the funny thing was, is that I was much more of a colorful boy before I started drag. And then out of drag, I started to wear more sedate clothing. So the colorful side of me became Mitzi and I wore you know darker colors and denim and black and and plain colors out of drag and so there was very much that conscious decision to separate the two um which which was uh, you know uh, because I think I think I am Mitzi um and and I think I'd find it very hard to be a performer out of drag I don't know you know I did Mardi Gras one year and I had to stand up and talk in front of everybody and it was really weird doing that without the mask and when I stopped drag I grew quite a substantial beard. And I think that became my new mask because I was quite happy to that became my style and my character. And and even now I sort of, you know, and, and I've become known for having quite colourful shirts out of drag. Um, so that element of my performance has sort of snuck back into who I am as Graham. Shifting, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so. So, yeah, I, I, I guess I, I guess there's always that that element of being able to produce who I was as a drag queen was most definitely where I went with the the style of performance I did, how I did it, being able to... And I think I'm a bit of a control freak because I can costume everything the way I want to costume it. I can put the look together. Um, you know, I, all, I worked a lot with choreographers who I felt could tell the story I wanted to tell in, in performance. So Minnie Cooper, who is a great... You know, her and I would have a conversation about how I was doing the number, how I wanted it to look, and then she would then choreograph that to reflect what I was trying to get in the performance, and that was very much what I looked for in choreographers.
0: How did you choose the name Mitzi McIntosh?
1: So, funnily enough, when I was in Canberra, Trudy and I performed, and we were the extremes. That we were called the extremes, and even even at the end of the show, I would say and don't forget um the boys are going to be back in half an hour with another show and i don't know why but i insisted on us being referred to as the boys and i think this was my whole thing of us being actors rather than being drag queens um and then when i came to sydney and i started performing scooters they said well we need to advertise you you need a name i was like okay right here and and i had i'd sort of developed this i had been listening to i loved Um, Doris Day Tunnel of Love, um, Lulu Dream Lover there was a few other unknown artists but the style was very much 60s it was very very much that 50s over the top style and so Trudy and I sat down and and we spoke and she came up with Bidjana Baljuzovak who was a girl she used to go to school with I was like that is fucking stupid, shut up (laughs) and I can't be and and then the other one she came up with um, was Violencia Domestica um, and then, But but we'd sort of settled on two 60s-esque names which were Gidget or Mitzi and so we sort of looked at Gidget Fidget um, or just something that, that had that sound to it and then we decided on Mitzi it was going to be Mitzi Maguire or Mitzi Mayhem um, and then eventually we just decided on Mitzi Macintosh because they had a bit of a ring to it um, and funnily enough, years later I came up with this idea of changing my name to Mitzi Mitosis and um, and I loved the fact that you know because at the time when I came up with the name no one had names that had double meaning because you had Cindy Pastel you had Pat Jenny, Pat- Pat I guess did but she originally was twisty um, you had Tallulah Bright you had Legs Galore you had Robin Lee you had Monique Kelly yeah no, nobody had they were just all just names mm. um, and so I did uh, an interview with Stefan Elliot um, Priscilla and I told him that I had this idea for this name, Mitzi Mitosis. And in the film, Mitzi is called Mitzi del Bra. And then I did this interview with Stefan. And then when he opened the stage show, Mitzi's name changed from Mitzi del Bra to Mitzi Mitosis. Right. I was like, you fucking ass. He stole uh, my bloody name yet. Yeah. Where's my royalty? Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, that was, it was just simply a matter of... And, and years later, I thought, you know, there are all these fabulous names like Tess Tickle and things like that. And, and I love all those those amazing drag names that have double meaning. And and I regretted it years later that I hadn't actually come up with anything that was a little more comical.
0: Oh, I think it's fabulous. I mean, yeah, and, and to meet the woman herself is... Um, that's where <laughs> well, the, the comical is. Well, I guess... And, and eventually it just
1: becomes, oh, it's Mitzi. You know, people don't think about the name. But no, but no, no. It, it was it's always, you know, when you have names like Penetration and um, torah Hyman and things like that, it's quite funny that...
0: Of these fabulous names, yeah, but but, but that Mitzi Macintosh harks back to a, a bygone yeah. era, yeah, <laughs> which is great. Um, look, it's, it's been fantastic chatting. Um, thank you. Sydney has like loved cutting that
1: down to an hour,
0: <laughs> <laughs> we might just leave it. Um, <laughs> Sydney has loved having you back in town, um, and and seeing the show was, was glorious. And we certainly hope that yeah. you're back and uh, with another show and uh, yeah. oh, and you. safe trip back to the UK. Thank you very much, it's been
1: yeah. lovely chatting, yeah. yeah.